Welcome to Fam Room Discussions, where I open up my fam room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 17, following along with What Shall I Do to Inherit Eternal Life? Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 10. In the introduction, it reads, when you ask the Lord a question, you might receive an answer you did not expect. Who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs your help and love. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A child. Is it enough to forgive an offender seven times? No, you should forgive 70 times seven. Unexpected answers from the Lord can invite us to change the way we think, feel, and act. If you are seeking the Lord's will because you really want to learn from him, the Lord will teach you how to live in a way that leads to eternal life with him. It's that last part that I love the most. And if we're truly seeking the Lord's will because we want to learn from him, that's when he can teach us how to live in a way that leads back to eternal life. And a key that I have learned that I've come to recognize is that as I'm truly learning that, it's uh, it, it pushes me. Put me. It puts me in an uncomfortable place in a growth zone, and um, it's very easy to want to be like, okay, I'm done. I'm done learning. I'm done growing. But as you stay committed and as you actually develop and learn and go through the process of faith, it's uh, it's a pretty transformative process. I feel like I'm in kind of that faith zone right now um, and have been for the last few months. It's, it's not my favorite, but I do... I do have faith in the process, so um, we keep going. We keep learning and figuring it out and becoming stronger and more patient. It's that patient part that I hate the most. Um, so from this lesson, man, I, I really love this lesson. It's only two chapters, but um, there's so much to learn. And as I was going through what I pulled through the most, I realized that a lot of my thoughts were actually just kind of responses to the typical response I've heard during Sunday schools from people and, and things that I just want to like, it's, it's those moments where someone will raise their hand and they'll, they'll share their thought. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but, um, like I just want to add on and I don't always feel like it's the most appropriate Sunday school is like the most appropriate place for me to do my, yeah, but so that's the benefits of doing this podcast is it's a place for me to be able to do that. So, um, I'm just going to do a couple of these thoughts. They don't necessarily fit with any of the actual uh, Come Follow Me lesson. So I hope you don't mind, but in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 12, it says, How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? Love this verse, um, and the teaching the Savior is trying to make. I often hear this used as you know, the justification for, for why we should focus so much on that one that is lost. Um, the, the member who's now no longer in our ranks or, uh, why in, in particular, it's those members who spend all their time seeking after this, this one person. And from my experience, it's typically someone who's like very closed off to the gospel at this current time. And so when you go to bring up uh, or or someone, anyone, right? Goes to bring up like, why are you spending so much time, you know, 
pushing them so you can get them back. Um, X, Y, Z. And then it's like, because you got to leave the 90 and nine to find the one. So my, my butt to this is just that Christ does not leave the 90 and nine in a dangerous place, in a unsafe place, um, in order to save the one, right? Um, I, the example I'm thinking of is in this family where uh, there was a wayward child and the dad spent just a majority of his time with this individual. Um, and at the same time, kind of ignoring and neglecting some of the other kids who really needed the attention on them. Um, they were trying to do the right things and just needed some help. But because of that focus of this dad was on this one who was in particularly um, wayward at the time, you know, it, it really impacted from my observation outside looking in, it really impacted the other kids negatively. And I thought about that because the the dad's justification in this scenario, uh, well, one of the sons brought it up of like, you know, why you spend so much time going after uh, this brother when you're not even focusing on the other siblings. And the response was like, I'm doing as the savior would do. He, you know, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And what I observed was that, again, the Savior does not leave the 99 in a dangerous place. They're, they're safe. He knows that they're taken care of and then goes and seeks after the one. And so it's, I, I feel like that's one of those verses that I have seen misused. I've seen the dangers of being like, ah, you know, you just abandon all 99 just to go after the one. That's not what the Lord is saying here, and it's not what he does either. And then in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I think for for whatever reason, I've noticed that um, there's a culture that seems to develop among the general general populace of, of members where we avoid having critical conversations. I don't know if it's necessarily... Um, like a cultural trait that's developed or, or whatnot. It's definitely not a teaching in the church. So if it's something that's developed, I think, again, this is my my uh, verse that I had a, a but to. I have noticed that, especially in callings that I've served in, and there is an issue, particularly with a different member, right, who has issues and needs to be addressed or there's behaviors that probably need to be um, talked about, if I have ever brought up like, hey, well, we should address that with this individual, the response I have heard is like, no, 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 we, we need to be peacekeepers and I don't want to create contention. And, um, I, you know, President Nelson, just in general conference, talked about being peacekeepers. I'm completely behind this principle. However, we also need to recognize as well, Christ has given us clear instructions to have critical conversations um, where we're able to actually address Concerns. Being a peacekeeper does not mean just never talking about problems. And that's the the cultural element that I've seen creep in amongst, uh, you know, a lot of members and particularly in callings, but also in families that makes me the most nervous is that we believe it is Christ-like to just not discuss problems, to not have these, these crucial conversations. The Lord teaches us how. He gives us a outline to follow, which is when you do have um, an issue between someone, do it 
between the two of you um, have those personal conversations, those one-on-ones. And if, you know, that person then is able to hear and come, uh, you come at it from a Christ-like spot and they come at it from a Christ-like spot, then as it says in the scripture, you've gained thy brother. And so don't shy away from critical conversations. It's, we think that it's kind. We often think that it's um, the best way to be a peacekeeper is to avoid those. And what it ends up doing is creates further contention in our own heart. We try and pretend and lie to ourselves like we're okay and it's fine. And I'll just, I'll suck it up. I'll take it all on myself. And then you end up just resenting someone when all you had to do was have that uncomfortable moment where you be honest and say, hey, these are some of the actions that you are taking that are negatively affecting me. And most people I have encountered and have had these conversations with, when you're able to do it without emotion and without bitterness, and you just tell them exactly how you're feeling, most people are genuinely compassionate. They don't want to be negatively affecting you. While they might not be able to change whatever specific behavior, you will be able to be on the same page and can become advocates for one another. For me, my strongest relationships are always the ones where I can be honest with another person and they can be honest with me. Uh, We could have those uncomfortable conversations, those critical conversations, and are able to work through any challenges. So it is far more Christ-like to have those than it's it's not Christ-like to to not have these conversations. And so that's my, my but to that verse. Matthew 18, verse 19, it says, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on, on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And this isn't actually a but verse at all, but I did think it was important that it this verse gave meaning to me of why we pray for one another and why we should discuss, like, you know, talk to each other about, hey, if you could pray for this for me is because as we're able to agree, as we're able to come and and, um, discuss things that we would like prayed for, and then agree that it's a worthy thing to pray for, then not only are we able to further understand the Lord's will, we're actually able to see the power in our prayers and for one another. So um, I thought that was a pretty powerful verse as I thought about it. Now, the kind of thing I want to talk about, the lesson I want to actually cover was on the uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The This stuck out to me because at the dinner table, Magnolia from Primary was able to explain just super clearly this parable that as, as she had come to understand it, right? And she's three. She was able to explain it in a way that was so clear and pretty beautiful. And I think that if a three-year-old's able to understand this parable, one, it shows the powerful teaching of the Lord. Um, but two, it shows that the gospel is not complicated. In fact, the gospel should be simple enough that a three-year-old can understand it and be able to teach it. And so we often get in the way of that where we overcomplicate the gospel. And we need to not do that. So I'm going to go through this. In verse uh, Luke, Chan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And just to point out, I love how the, the Savior answers with a question um, for, for all those teachers out there. That's a 
really brilliant technique for your classes. It also invites the spirit. In 27, he said, and he answering said, thou shalt love, uh, love thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love this moment too. So Christ asks, asks him a inspired question. And this Pharisee in his own pride actually answers it spot on. And then the Lord's like, yep, you nailed it. And then he's like, well, 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 well who's my neighbor? Right. Try to turn it back around. I, I just kind of love picturing what this interaction would have looked like. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You've probably gotten this lesson before in class, but I'd like to reiterate it just in case uh, as we as we can think through. So this, this, uh, this man's beaten. He's stripped naked on his way to Jericho, attacked by thieves. Super tragic. He's left half dead. A priest comes down. We could say that this would be, you know, uh, maybe it was a bishop. Or maybe it was uh, your ministering brother or ministering sister, right? Passes by and they see this and they're like, oh, I don't want to get involved. They pass the other side. Um, I know I've been in that situation where I, I've seen where it was a situation maybe I could help out in. But I was like, oh, I don't want to be inconvenienced by this. Now, I've never seen someone half dead before. I would probably stop. But I have seen situations where I could 100% have helped and decided not to and have had to repent and work on that. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Again, same thing. Uh, think of another person in your life who should be there to help um, in this situation. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Um, if you don't know the background, this is in the lesson, but the Samaritans, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They, had, they were Jews who had mingled with the Gentiles. The Jews felt like they were... Um, fallen people, not worthy. They would actually go around the city so that they they would take a longer journey just so they didn't have to pass by any Samaritans. And so this would have been an enemy, right? Think of, uh, I don't know, someone in your life that you're just not particularly fond of. This is the person who's stopping to help you. And went on him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that should mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do that likewise. Now, did the Savior have to spell out the answers as he was teaching the Pharisees? No. He was asked a question. He answered it by asking another question. The man gives him his answer. He says, yep, you nailed it. And then he asks, the Pharisee asks another question. And Christ goes into a story. He tells the story. It was powerful. Again, so simple that a three-year-old could reshare this story almost perfectly. Um, Maggie decided to add that incident was, uh, instead of saying it was on his own beast, she said it was on his own donkey, which I thought was cute. Because it probably, well, I mean, very well, donkey, horse, whatever. Um, so I thought that was super, you know, fun detail that she added. 
and then said that instead of it was an in, she called it called it a doctor. But shares the story so simple that all of us are touched, all of us are affected, uh, no matter how old we are. And then finishes up with a question: Which now of these three thinkest thou was? And it, you know, thinkest thou didn't say right or wrong. Thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? The Pharisee answers and says, "He that showed mercy on him." Jesus then follows up with an invitation to act. Go and do thou likewise. There was no um, long, drawn-out lesson, didn't refer to PowerPoint notes, didn't go through and um, speak for like 40 minutes or 45 minutes and then be like, okay, now I want to hear from, from all of you. No. It was an extremely powerful lesson and it was the participants, the learners, who are doing most of the work. And as I've been thinking about teaching the gospel, I think this is where we fail often in the church, the the in, in Sunday school and teaching Elders Corps Relief Society and sacrament meetings. We fail because we continue to think that the teaching is all on us, and we don't make way for the Spirit. And I think... I've really just been pondering this heavy. That that is where we fail, and that is where we're not learning from the Savior. The Savior always instructed and then gave invitations to act, and it was upon uh, the learners to go and act. Many of the Pharisees obviously didn't act. They refused to act. Did the Savior ever force them to? No. And the ones that did act became stalwart followers to the point where they sacrificed their own lives. And that is what is missing often from our own teaching we get so worried people are going to miss the mark or so worried that they're not going to know what's inside of our own head and we we damn our listeners whether it's our children or our students and what have you we damn them from being able to act in faith and grow and that's something that i really think needs to be changed and that change comes from within us we have to start that so that's what i pulled from that lesson i think obviously i'm particularly affected because of my current calling. Um, but I think that that can help you as you think through that as well. You know, how can we be better teachers of the gospel? So I want to invite you to ponder what simple actions you can take this week to follow the Savior and then act on them. Thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.